life of a disciple, the life of an apprentice, really is one that is pursuing three main goals, three main aims in life. That is to be with Jesus, become like Him, and do what He does. And we've started to shape our church around these three primary pursuits for every follower of Jesus. We say, well, if that's, if that's what disciples are supposed to be about, then surely a collection of disciples should be about the same kinds of things, right? So we are shaping up as a church around what does it mean for us to pursue the presence of of God, to be the kind of people who both pursue but also know how to hold and host the presence of God, primarily through a culture of prayer and worship. What does it mean for us to pursue counterformation in our lives as disciples of Jesus, but also in our communal lives together, uh, that we would become increasingly like Him? And then finally, that we would do what He does, that we would embrace sacrificial mission to see the gospel made known here and everywhere. And so that's kind of the journey that we're on. And we're taking two weeks on each of those themes, presence, formation, and mission to unpack what does it mean. So over the last two weeks, we unpacked around presence. What does it mean for us collectively to be the kind of people who are marked and defined and shaped by the presence of God? That'd be the primary defining marker. And then last week, we talked a little more practically and specifically around how we're pursuing that at the well. We're following, we're following a similar pattern in these two weeks in the middle here where we're talking about formation or counter-formation. So today, I'm going to give a bit of an overarching, big-picture vision for us as a collective, for us as a church whānau together. What does it mean for us to engage and, and you know, pursue counter-formation in the ways of Jesus? And then next week, David will join me in the teaching and we'll, we might attempt another tag team. It seemed to go all right last week, eh, Hannah? That was all right. Uh, we might attempt that again next week with uh, Pastor David around, and we'll go a little more specifics into what uh, some of the ways that we're outworking this vision for us as a, as a church whānau. So um, nice little teaser there for you to make sure you come back next week. Eh? See what I did there? Yeah, nice. And then, uh, and then we'll finish up talking around mission and that'll take us through to Easter. So that's the, that's the journey that we're on, just in case you're wondering, give a little context and whatnot. But this morning, uh, the teaching text that we're going to look at is out of 1 Peter. So if you've got your Bibles, let me encourage you, let's open up to 1 Peter chapter 1 and chapter 2. The text will be on the screen, but it's always good to open our own Bibles and, you know, if you're anything like me, jot notes and mark things up and highlight and circle and underline and, you know, that's, that's uh, if you look in mine, that's what it looks like. Um, so, First Peter uh, chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 13. Peter writes, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as He who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, uh, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. And if you skip over to chapter two, in verse four and five, we read, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, 
you also, like living stones, are being built together into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And continuing in verse 9, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This stunning vision, right? It's pretty, it's pretty high bar, isn't it? You know, Peter kind of paints this pretty, you know, epic standard, if you will, for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You know, the language in there, right, is pretty lofty. It's pretty grandiose. And we don't like to associate ourselves with that, do we? But he says, no, 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 no. Here's who you are, friends. Here's who you are as followers of Jesus, as Jesus' disciples. Here's who you are. He says, you're to be my new temple, living stones, built together into a spiritual house, chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, right? It sounds a little bit like grandiose, and we, we look at that and we go, oh, wait, 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 you know, nah, that's not me, right? It's not me, rubs us a bit wrong. That's not who I'm saying we are. This is who God says we are. I remember when, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, I had a sabbatical and 2022, it was an amazing gift. Um, and, and, uh, and I read a, a number of books on sabbatical, but one in particular, I was so excited to read. See, just a few months before sabbatical started, there was um, Eugene Peterson's biography came out. And Eugene Peterson is a bit of a, bit of a um, you know, father in the faith, a bit of a, you know, like a, like a really, really, I'm a big fan of uh, Eugene Peterson. And so this biography came out and I had a bunch of friends who had already read it and they were like, this is incredible, Clint, have you read it yet? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I got my copy and I sat it on the shelf and I sat it there for probably six or eight weeks where I would see it every single day. It drove Jamie nuts. She's like, can you just put that away? And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like the carrot on the end of the stick. You know, I'm like, I'm not allowing myself to read it until sabbatical starts. This is the first thing, you know, a bit of a reward you know it was one of those like this is when I start sabbatical this is the first book I'm going to pick up and I'm going to read if you haven't read it let me highly encourage you it's called A Burning in My Bones it was written by Wynne Collier fantastic and and reading through Eugene's biography it was just an absolute delight it was so so amazing and and, and it made clear like like reading through Eugene's life he, he basically over and over again you just heard this theme come through he's like I'm not interested in accolades I'm not interested in platform I'm not interested in celebrity or being known you know in fact he started to increasingly retreat from any sort of kind of public uh, pro- platform or profile um, from, from pastoral ministry, from teaching ministry and whatnot, and ended up just kind of like hanging out, you know, at his house on a lake in middle of nowhere, Montana, you know, and he said his entire goal in life was to be a saint, to become a saint. And I think we hear things like this. We read Peter's words, we hear stories like that and we go, oh, come on, that's a bit ambitious, you know. 
puffing yourself up a bit there, Eugene. Take it down a notch, mate, you know. But I think it's thoroughly biblical. I think it's entirely honouring to God that that be a pursuit of our lives. And friends, this is my hope and desire for you. That you would become saints in the kingdom of God. I think that's God's desire for you too. I think that's what he wants because this is for all of us. This is what Peter's saying, right? He's like, this it's, is for all of us, not just individually, but collectively, that we're to become saints, holy nation, royal priesthood, like living stones built together into a spiritual house. This is that we're God's special possession, his, his, his chosen people, the people of God. Why? What's his whole intention and plan for that? We see it in, in chapter two there where he says, uh, verses 11 and 12, he says, Live such good lives that the world might see your lifestyle, that the world might see your way of life and glorify God as a result. That's why. That you would live lives that are so honoring to God. This is his in, in desire and intent. It's, it's such a high and noble calling, right? It's, it, it's, it's this glorious picture. It's a vision of God's desire and what he wants. And it's worth giving ourselves to wholeheartedly. Don't waste your precious fleeting life here on earth. Uh, but focus instead on what matters most, both in this life and in eternity. Becoming the kind of person who is saint-like, who is actually... Christ-like, becoming people of love through union with Jesus. And, and Peter, you know, his letter, he's consistently referring back to Jesus as the living stone, the cornerstone on which these living stones are built together. And where to be like him. You see in verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, he says, you also, like living stones, are becoming people of love who, who are like Jesus. This is, this is actually that second aim, that second goal for every disciple of Jesus is to, be, is to become like him. Be with him, become like him, do what he does, right? Uh, is that we become like him. And, uh, and I think it's pretty incredible that as we read through the text, I don't know if you picked up, there was a couple of things in there. He says, don't conform to the evil desires that you had. You know, don't give in to the sinful ways of the world. Don't, get, you know, don't, don't conform to those things anymore. But instead, live, live into your true identity, actually, your true calling as a royal priesthood, as a chosen people. And, and, and he uses language, actually, in there around being foreigners and exiles. Did you hear that? Um, this is a huge theme for Peter because he's writing to not just just a specific church in a specific location, but he's writing to a collection of churches around a whole region. And so he's writing to them all and he's saying, your identity, your, your, your citizenship is not your primary identity. Your, your, your primary citizenship is actually in heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus, your primary citizenship is to Christ. So no matter where you find yourself on earth, you're a foreigner, you're an exile. Not because you're under some different kind of political or earthly political uh, uh, government or, or, or authority or whatnot, but because actually our primary citizenship as followers of Jesus is with Christ in heaven. Therefore, he's writing to every one of us saying, don't follow those patterns, don't conform to those patterns, you know, but actually be formed fully into the way of Jesus. Become like him, 
and, and then and then and then we see like how do we how do we go about doing this? How do we how do we pursue this? And and John Mark Comer's book Practicing the Way is a, is another amazing one. I think one or two people are kind of starting to read it around here, which is a good thing. Encourage you to also if you want another book recommendation, get into that one. It's worth it. Um, and his his uh, chapter on becoming like Jesus has particularly shaped a lot of my thinking around uh, this message this morning. And he in that in that chapter to, uh, he he. He, uh, he says this, he says, Apprentices of Jesus are those who intentionally arrange their lives around this goal of spiritual growth and spiritual maturity. Non-apprentices, by the way, of Jesus are those who intentionally arrange their lives around anything else. I think that's brilliant, right? That's a really good thing to, you know, like, it's a little pointy, you know, but uh, I think, I think he's, he's dead right, and, he, and it's dead true. And in fact, this is true throughout the whole history of the church. Like, monks on through, you know, all the way through the history of the church have called this process the imitatio Christi in Latin, or the imitation of Christ. Thomas Akempis wrote extensively about it, and today we call it simply spiritual formation. The truth is, though, spiritual formation isn't just a Christian thing. It's actually a human thing, right? Like, it's, it's, it's a human thing. We all grow, we all change, we all become a person. The question isn't, are you being formed? The question is, who or what are you be, being formed into? See, who we are, the good things, the less good things, the bad things, and the ugly things, are all a result of your spiritual formation. You have been spiritually formed since before you came out of your mother's womb. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, you have. All of us, we have the same mixture of genetic inheritance and family patterns and childhood wounds and education and habits and decisions and relationships and inner orientations of your heart and attitudes and the environments in which you're at and then your response to those environments and all of these things, right, we could go on and on, have contributed over time to form you into the person you are today. And it's the same is true for every single one of us. You have been formed already. You are being formed right here and right now. And you will continue to be formed in the days to come. So put it another way, you're becoming someone or something. You're becoming a person. Who are you becoming? Who am I becoming? Coma puts it this way in his book. He says, spiritual formation is not optional. Every thought you think Every emotion you let shape your behavior, every attitude you let rest in your body, every decision you make, each word you speak, every relationship you enter into, the habits that make up your days, whether or not you have social media, if you do, how you use it, how you respond to pain and suffering, how you handle failure or success, all these things and more are shaping us into a particular shape. Stasis or remaining the same is not on the menu. We are, being, we are being either transformed into the love and beauty of Jesus or malformed by the entropy of sin and death. To believe otherwise is an illusion. And to give no thought to this is to come dangerously close, dangerously close to wasting your life. And the truth is, we are all being formed. You have been formed, you are being formed, and you will continue to be formed. The question is, who or what are you becoming?
A good friend of mine, Sam, uh, on his 40th birthday, you know, had a party and a bunch of people came around and they're celebrating and, and you know, people give speeches at 40th birthday parties, you know, so a couple of people gave short speeches and, and whatnot and Sam's like, you know, it was awesome. He's, he's, he's several years on from there but he still talks about at his 40th birthday the most stellar and encouraging thing that, that his wife said about him. So you think about it, like, who knows you the best uh, here on earth? It's probably, you know, the person you're married to probably knows you the best if, you, if you're married. Uh, and his wife said this about him. She said, Sam, I've known you for some time. I probably know you better than any other person. You're not perfect. You certainly haven't arrived, but you're trending in the right direction. And I think that's just such a stunning encouragement. It's fueled his soul for years Sam turns 43 this year. He's still talking about how encouraging that was to him and it would be for me because the truth is that we're not all following the same path. Our formation isn't always taking us in the same direction. Which direction are you trending in? Fast forward and elderly people give us a wonderful case study. I know I've talked about this before, right? Elderly people tend to either be some of the most loving and gracious and kind and thoughtful and just joyful, content, beautiful people, right? A delight to be around. Or, do I need to say it? (laughs) Some of the most grumpy and bitter and complaining people who are just spewing that poison down into their family lines. Which direction are you trending in, friends? Which direction are you trending in? The funny thing is, Comer talks about in his book that actually most people who are kind of middle of life, you know, like teenage years through your 40s and whatnot, he's like, when you meet them, you know, they're not usually, you know, one or the other extreme, they're just kind of, eh, mids. You know, like, they're not like the most gracious and compassionate, loving, you know, kind of, you know, neither are they the worst kind of bitter, resentful, you know, I don't know, they're just kind of eh, mid. And that's because they're still in process, right? Still being formed in one way or the other. You might see kind of which way they're, they're trending and tracking. And, and of course, there's exceptions. This isn't, you know, this is a vast generalization. Of course, there's exceptions. You know, there's maybe some elderly people who are a bit mid too. But um, you, get, you get what I'm saying, right? So when we think about spiritual formation, what are we talking about? Let me, let me just kind of give you a definition of what we're talking about. Spiritual formation. This is from uh, Robert Mulholland, my favorite definition on spiritual formation. He says, it's, uh, spiritual formation is a process of being formed in the image of Christ for the sake of others. Can we just leave that up, um, Anna, because I'm going to unpack it, because it's actually one sentence, but it's a, it's a definition in four parts, and it's very intentionally crafted that way. So he talks about it being a process. So spiritual formation is a process. It's a slow process. It often takes quite some time, many years, if not realistically decades, right? It's not a one-time event. Spiritual formation is not something that happens to you once and you're good and you're done for life. You, you don't need to pay attention. No, no, it's a process, right? And, and it actually poses, in that, it poses a huge challenge to our current culture, because our current culture is all about instant gratification. It is all about the quick fix and the shortcut and the get it done here and now and we're sorted, right? And so this spiritual formation is counterformation by its very nation, uh, by its very um, uh, essence, right? Uh, so it's a process of being formed. 
Now, I emphasize the word being formed because it's not something that we do to ourselves as much as it is something that's done to us by God and by His transforming grace. See, as we yield to His grace, God does the transforming. So it's a process of being transformed through the kindness of God and through the power of His grace at work in us. This is the whole Romans 12, 2 thing where Paul writes, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, he says, by the renewing of your minds. Be transformed. He says, this is the whole idea of actually, we are the sheep, he is the shepherd, or better, we are the clay, he is the potter, molding and shaping us. So, you know, we're, we're not actually off the hook though, because our, our job is to mostly make ourselves available, to be malleable, to be soft and, 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 and willing to be shaped and formed, right? It, we, it, that's, that's how we cooperate with God's transforming grace. But He doesn't force it on us. He doesn't just kind of make it all happen. You know, St. Augustine uh, fa- famously said, um, without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. He's not going to just force it on us. So this is something only God can do, but He'll only do it with our cooperation. So we're, it's a spiritual formation. is a process of being formed, of being formed, right, into the image of Christ. And that's like the telos, the end point. This is the goal. This is the, the target of where we're heading. It's to be like Christ, like, like Peter writes, like those living stones being built together, holy priesthood, you know, the being that new temple. It's not about worldly success and achievement and having all the right stuff and all the right things and becoming the best version of yourself and, and you know, like knowing your personality and your Enneagram type so that you can play to your strengths. And it's not about that. It's literally just being Christ in the world. And not just about being like Christ, but actually being transformed, you know, the process of being formed in the image of Christ. Jesus himself, think about what he prayed in John 17. This is not just about being like Christ, it's actually about being incorporated into the very life of God himself, this triune life of God. This is, this is what, we're, what, we're, what we're welcomed into, that sense of union uh, in and with Jesus. Not so that we can go, look how good we are, yay, but for the sake of the world, for the sake of others. And that's a really important phrase, I think, on the end, and this is why I love Mulholland's definition, because it'd be a good definition of spiritual formation without that last phrase. A process of being formed in the image of Christ. That's a good definition of spiritual formation. But for the sake of others, I think is critical because it tells us actually spiritual formation is not about some, self act, some project of self-actualization or project self. You know, it's not about, you know, um, any of that. It's, it's actually what Peter writes when he's saying, live such good lives so that the world may see your good deeds and glorify God, right? Without, without this, I think formation will inevitably kind of reduce down and distort into just a private, therapeutic, self-help spirituality that is honestly just a Christian, Christianized version of you know, the radical individualism that just rules our world, right? Rather, instead, this is intended to be, if we're to be any good for the sake of others and for the sake of the world. We need to be 
in and with Christ. We need to be formed in the image of Christ. It, you know, so, so formation is, is intended to be like, like a crucible that will burn and cleanse our souls clean, forging us into people of love like Jesus was, like Jesus is. And so here's the thing. As great as all this sounds, it doesn't just magically happen right? It doesn't just go, oh, yeah, yeah, cool, spiritual formation, formation, we're in, you know, that sounds good. Like, like yes, Christ-likeness is possible. That's where, we, that's where we started, right, with First Peter going, hey, this is possible. It is possible for you to become like Jesus here and now, in this life, in this world. We, as Wesleyans, we have a high view of grace. We believe by the grace of God that this is possible to become increasingly like Jesus, to grow increasingly in grace but it's not natural and it's certainly not inevitable. Like John Mark Comer puts it, he says, there are no accidental saints. You don't accidentally become one. You don't wake up one day, you know, in your 50s or 60s and go, oh, hey, look, I'm a saint now. You know, it's not like you just kind of happen, happen to get there because as we've already said, formation will happen to you with zero conscious decision on your part, whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not. But formation into a person of love in Christ will not happen unless we choose it. We need to choose it and then keep choosing it day after day after day after week after month after year. It'll require an intentionality and we'll have to apprentice under Jesus and follow his training program. And more and more, I'm so encouraged to find people who are saying, yes, that's what I want. Yes, I'm in. Yes, I'm willing. Yes, let's go, you know, to pursue it. Yes, I'm in. But they're just not quite sure where to start. See, the reason being is that for many churches, and this has been true of my experience, right? For many churches, we reduce spiritual formation down to a three-part formula. That is go to church, read your Bible and pray, and give some money, Right? And if you just do those three, those three things, that's a good Christian life, right? Go to church, read your Bible and pray, give some money. Now, don't get me wrong. I think all of those are really important. They're really valuable. They're essential. Like, like they're baked into my own rule of life. I live out these things. I just think they're not enough because I've seen so many people, good, good, good friends of mine, family members who have lived out that three-part formula only to find 30 years down the line they're not all that different anymore, certainly not transformed. And so Janet Hagberg and Robert Gulick from Fuller Seminary started doing a study back in the 70s where um, they studied in this in the, in the stages you know, of, of, um, of faith development. And, and this, they wrote a book called The Critical Journey, which is an incredible book. It was started back in the 70s and they've added to it since. And they identified six kind of key stages of development uh, in terms of how we grow from spiritual birth through to spiritual maturity. And really insightful, really interesting. But they said, actually, um, you know, they made this sobering observation that was the quote on the screen there a minute ago where they said, most Christians never actually mature beyond stage three which is a very basic level of maturity. Very few actually go on and reach their full potential in Christ. And I'm seeing this as the same actually in a lot of current research coming out from Barna and Pew Research and others out of North America in particular where they're studying younger generations of people and they're showing the, you know, how, how, are, how are people growing in Christ and you know, those, you know, they're markers for what they call resilient disciples. Their definition of what they call resilient disciples is not much different than what these guys call basic level three. 
And so we've settled, what that tells me is we've settled and we've brought the bar so low around what it means to be a follower of Jesus that we don't even know anymore. We, we settle for like this minimum entry requirements and we say that's, that's Christian maturity, that's all there is. And Jesus, I think, is sitting back going, no, 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 you're missing out on so much. That's not maturity, you're getting stuck at like toddler, <laughs> you know? Like, I think this, this helps explain what we've witnessed over the last five or seven years. When you think about, you know, the crisis of discipleship, particularly in the Western church, it's not because we went through a COVID pandemic. It's not because, fill in the blank, political party is now in power or was in power. It's not because of whatever, you know, situation you want to put it that. I think actually we're, we're finding people for decades have not been growing through to maturity in Christ. We've got the church where there's so many Christians, but they're actually more like spiritual adolescents and we need elders in this moment. It's not because they don't want to change. I think people genuinely do. It's not because uh, they're not trying to change. I think most are trying or, or at least have tried, you know. I think it's because we don't necessarily know how to change. And so John Mark Comer in his book, you know, unpacks and does this brilliant um, explanation of theories of change and, 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 and lays out one in terms of how we need to grasp how a human soul goes from spiritual birth through to spiritual maturity. How do people um, take this development and, and, and therefore how most of us, you know, he said, sadly, many of us, we live by uh, a theory of change, it, whether it's, you know, that's, we all live by one and, and our formation in, to date has largely been unconscious more than conscious. It's been haphazard more than intentional. It's been secular more than it's been scriptural. And it's been mostly ineffective and certainly not transformational. And the fallout of this is huge. We're seeing it in the Christian world. And he describes it like this in the, in the Western church in particular. He says, where churches are full of people who are Christians, but are not apprentices to Jesus. Where a widespread cancer of hypocrisy has infected the church because the gap between Jesus' teachings and the, and the people's lives, including those of many pastors, is too great to be explained away graciously. Because a generation of people disillusioned with the faith, with a million millennials in the Western church leaving the church every year, and many even giving up on following Jesus entirely. They're looking instead to quasi-scientific and therapeutic strategies of self-help or to some Eastern religions as more promising options for salvation. And there are many who quietly ache for more of God and His transformation, but they just feel stuck on their spiritual journeys and blocked in their growth. And this isn't to critique or judge or anything like that. It's just to name what is, I think. Um, and and that's, the, that's really the role of any leader, it's the first role of any leader is to define reality. Where are we starting from? What is, what is our current? And so many of us, I think, have simply been taught a Jesus, uh, have, not, have not, simply have not been taught a Jesus-based model of change or an effective pathway to transformation or a way of life. So, friends, this is what we're working on at the well. This is what we've been leaning into and building towards for a few years now. And we've been refining and we've been honing and we've been shaping and partnering. And, and this is, this, we're trying to redress some of that trend because my heart for you as your pastor 
is that you would grow on to maturity. I don't want you getting stuck at level three. I want to see you grow on to be mature. I want to see you become saints, as the scriptures say we're intended to be. That's my hope for, that's my, hope for my life. I hope that my wife and my kids and, and, and you as my church whanau would look at my life and say, we see you, Clint. We know your way of life. We know your lifestyle and you're trending in the right direction. I hope you could say that to be true of me. And so next week, as I said, David's going to join me and we'll talk a little bit more specifically around how we're outworking that uh, here at the well and invitations for you to get connected. But as we wrap up, let me just kind of land uh, one last thought on you um, as we finish to wrestle with. Because it's all good for us to go, oh yeah, yeah, this journey of formation, yeah, we need to be intentional there's a danger implicit here. And so this is a final warning, a bit of a challenge, all right? And it's this, if I could just say it simply, is you are not in control of your spiritual formation. And we need to hear that because I think that's one of the hardest uh, lessons for followers of Jesus to actually learn and live into today. We can't control our spiritual journeys. Most of the circumstances in our lives are beyond our control. God himself is beyond our control. Why would we think the one who forms us, right? Remember, we're a process of being formed. We're not the ones doing the formation. He is the one doing the formation. But here's here's the reality is that we live in a digital world where fast and efficient and convenient is the name of the game, right? There's so much good about the digital world, right? Like I'm not all anti, but there's no denying it. It has formed us in some significant ways. Take this for example. It's formed us to believe that life should be easy, fast, and controllable. Think about it. Right now, you could flip open your phone, I don't encourage you to do this, flip open your phone and with a few swipes of your thumb, you could, you know, order and lunch would appear for you as you're leaving at the door, magically somehow, you know, Uber Eats and there you go, there's a guy there waiting with a bag as you walk out and you'd be like, hey, lunch is sorted, right? And so as a result, we're conditioned to expect quick, fast results with minimal effort and all at our beck and call, when we want it, how we want it, on our terms, right? And we often carry this mindset over into our relationship with Jesus and our own formation. So we assume that we just need to find the right technique or just the right life hack or get just the right app and it's gonna solve the problems of my soul. Friends, it's not how it works. Easy, fast and controllable, spiritual formation is more likely the exact opposite of that. Hard, slow and we are not in control. There's no killer app, there is no quick fix, and there is no shortcut. The formation of your soul is more like the growing of a garden than it is ordering takeout. And it's not something we can control. So beware of the temptation to engage in these practices of spiritual formation as just another attempt to control your life rather than as the medium through which we release control back to God and we open ourselves to the work of His transforming grace. And while this might rub against our preferences and, you know, kind of grate us a little bit, it's actually really good news. It truly is good news because we all know we can't save ourselves. We can't self-save, right? And we don't have to. We have been saved 
we are being saved and we will one day ultimately be saved by Jesus and by Him alone. He's the Savior, not us. He's the good shepherd. Our role is to follow. He's the potter. We're the clay. Our role is to be soft and malleable to His formation and to keep following this shepherd through all the highs and all the lows along the way of life. And it might take time, years, decades more likely to become who we know we were destined to be, who we were created to be, who God wants you to be. We may not even see the payoff until we're laid into life. Pete Scazzaro says, actually, your best years are usually in your 70s. The second best decade of your life is in your 80s. And your third best is in your 60s. That's what he says. Not in terms of like productivity and accomplishment and all that kind of stuff, but in terms of contentment and joy and the life of Christ lived in you. And, it'll, and when we get there, I'm convinced we'll find it. It was more than worth it. And so our hope and prayer around here at the well, my hope and prayer for you and for us is that we be people who are transformed, that we become like Christ, that we be like that new temple of living stones built together into a spiritual house where God's presence is dwelt and and God's presence is known and people look around and they go, man, I don't know what it is about those folks, but there's God, there must be God because there's no way they would become like that on their own. You know, I just go, man, if that would be true of us, that would be the best thing ever, that we would become increasingly like Jesus, that we wouldn't find that we would be saints, that we'd live such good lives that the world would see our way of life and they would choose to glorify God as a result. And friends, it's possible. It's possible. Again, not by our own strength. It's, it's possible in this life. It really is. We, you, we can be healed and set free from broken patterns, even those that go back generations in your, in your family line. We can be transformed into people who are genuinely loving and joyful and at peace. It's possible. We can know the absolute delight of just resting in and with God, being secure in His love as a, as a precious and treasured, beloved child. We, we can know that union with God. We know that our, our temples, our bodies can become a temple and we can be built together as a living temple in our neighborhoods and that we can create holy moments and holy ground and, 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 and all our days come together, all in good time. But for now, it's just a simple response. The master's call is come, follow me. And our response is simple. We say yes. We say yes. And so won't you pray with me as we come uh, to close our, our time together this morning. Lord, we do thank you. First and foremost, Jesus, we thank you that you have yeah, you, ha- you have done all that we need. Even, even the ability to respond to your invitation to come follow you is a gift of grace. We recognize that and we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you that even at the start of that invitation, come, follow me, is the gift of your presence. Not just your presence, just you are the gift. But it's not even about who we're becoming and the destination. It's not even about the journey necessarily. It's just that we get to be with you. That is the gift. That is the good. And we thank you for that.
And so, Lord, as we respond in our own hearts, even now, Lord, I pray that yeah, you would expand our minds and our, and our, and our hearts and, and give us a vision of what it is to be like you, Jesus. Would you make us to be that holy nation set apart like living stones built together to be your people? And I just have a sense this morning maybe that there's some who, in responding to God's word this morning, is an invitation actually to recognize Maybe you've stepped out on this journey of formation for some time and you've gotten a little ways along and you're realizing this morning, actually, I'm still in control. Engaging in spiritual practices, but I'm in control. And it's been a way to kind of manage your own life more than it has been to release control and make yourself open and available to His grace. And so this morning, I wonder if there's an opportunity as you come for communion to just respond and repent of that release control back to God. Surrender to Him and His Lordship. Submit again to His forming work in your life. And may you find the transforming grace of God at work in and through you. So Jesus, we pray that you would do that for each one of us. We thank you for this moment and this time where we know it is safe to be with you and in your presence. Will you meet and minister to us, I pray. And Jesus, will you make us to be as your people, set apart like living stones built into a temple where your presence dwells. We pray this in Jesus' name.